0: Hi, Sammy. How are
1: you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for taking the time to uh, do this.
0: Of course.
1: Yo! Welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. I've never gone viral, which is great considering we just wrapped up a pandemic unan. Growing up, it was the responsibility of parents to have the talk with their kids. The talk, of course, was the sex talk. Where do babies come from? It was awkward for most parents and gross for all kids, and it became this weird rite of passage. The talk, still in quotes, has slightly shifted now because the times have shifted. The talk is now how to navigate your public identity online, especially on social media platforms like TikTok. TikTok has been around since September 2016, but launched in the US in 2017. It is a short video hosting service created by a Chinese tech company, ByteDance. On the surface, that sounds straightforward. I mean, most of us use YouTube, right? Unfortunately, like most tech, it's not that straightforward. TikTok criticism ranges from psychological effects, including addiction, to misinformation versus censorship, to surveillance tech versus privacy and much more. There's a general unease knowing that a Chinese corporation is collecting data on U.S. citizens. (laughs) For some reason, we're okay with Facebook collecting similar data, because that's an American company. We are so weird. Welcome director Shalini Kantaya, to My Summer Layer. Her documentary, Tiktok Boom, attempts to sort out all of these complicated issues. You can see Tiktok Boom on PBS. Shalini's previous documentary, Coded Bias, focused on algorithms and worthwhile concerns about technology, specifically machine learning. You can see that documentary on Netflix. For TikTok Boom, she offers a helpful primer because a discussion on the platform can escalate into confusion. Her documentary dissects the popular platform across several tenants. Global political challenges, security issues, the algorithm, that damn algorithm every time, and of course, cultural interests, especially cultural interests seen through the lens of digital natives who may not always possess enough healthy skepticism when engaging TikTok. TikTok boom is nuanced, as you'll hear Shalini confirm in our conversation. She doesn't believe tech is all good or all bad, which is a valid point. However, that truth must contend with another truth discussed in the documentary, As part of China's latest crackdown on media exposure for young internet users, TikTok's Chinese version will now restrict users under 14 to just 40 minutes of app activity time per day and only allow usage between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. on a daily basis. Complicated, right? Here is the talk, still in quotes, I had with director Shalini Kantaya. About her documentary TikTok boom, which is now streaming on PBS.
2: Opening Manifesto Sound, The Final Frontier. My Summer Lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now, here is your host, Sammy Yunan.
1: Before we kind of get into your documentary TikTok boom, I want to know, what are some of your favorite TikTok challenges?
0: I don't know if I have a favorite TikTok challenge, to be honest. Okay.
1: (laughs) Was there any ones that you kind of like saw that kind of like interested you or like uh, you were kind of like worried about or concerned about? Like, because they kind of seem to run the gamut. There's some fun, dancey ones. And then there's some that are like really kind of disconcerting.
0: I I think that, you know, my approach to TikTok centered more about it was a little bit more meta, looking at the app as a whole and as a as a sort of global phenomenon and cultural phenomenon. And I wasn't sort of in the minutia of, of, of sort of TikTok trends.
1: Yeah, so let's pick up on that because this is a follow up uh, to your previous documentary, Coded Bias, which also focused on algorithms and like the worthwhile concerns we have about technology. Uh, especially mm-hmm. like machine learning, for example. So what is it that sparks your interest in these like technological aspects?
0: Well, just to clarify, it's not actually a follow up to coded bias, but it is a second film about technology. Mm-hmm. I think that you know I'm very interested in disruptive technology as a as a theme, and you know whether it makes the world more fair or less fair, and for whom, and how these technologies can change our lives and to and shape remake culture so quickly, and um, oftentimes we embrace these disruptive technologies without thinking about sort of the larger societal implications. And so that sort of sparks my interest in, in technologies that 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 run the gamut from solar energy to to AI to to TikTok.
1: And this culture that you're talking about, there seems to be like a giddy sci-fi like, a fandom, I guess, element that runs through your work. Are you, like, a nerd, like a sci-fi nerd?
0: Oh, yes. That's very um, perceptive of you. I Why, yes, I am a sci-fi nerd.
1: Okay.
0: And um, I think often it's science fiction that sparks my imagination about how technology will be used in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes that, that, that the science, even the science fiction, um, you know our our mythology can sometimes be limited and so i'm always curious about new ways to imagine technology and and so yes i think that one of the reasons i explore these issues in my work is because i don't think technology is dystopian i think there are lots of great uses for for technology and i think the tricky part is how do we get the benefits of technology without having the harms
1: before we get into that Part of the the conversation. I want to know, like, what from your background though. Like, what makes you like a sci-fi nerd? Like, what were some of the books or movies or TV shows that kind of like sparked your interest in the future and some of these technology things, these technological aspects?
0: Well, I was um, influenced by a couple of movements in science fiction. One called cyberpunk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, William Gibson. Yes, and and both the literature and some of the the, the films that came out of that era and also influenced by Af- afrofuturism and sort of what does the future look like for people of color because i think for uh, many years in, in, in sort of american science fiction you didn't see narratives about people of color in our futures
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and so very you know sort of inspired by afrofuturism
1: yeah we're seeing elements of that in like atlanta for example um mm-hmm. even though that's not quite science fiction and so this this technology that you're talking about, where it's like it could be both like kind of like in this gray area, uh, where it's like it's not completely dystopian, it's not completely utopian either. It's kind of like reminiscent of like uh, like a ten-year-old kid who like steals a candy bar from Seven Eleven. I get it, like stealing is bad, uh, but every kid kind of steals a little bit at the beginning, or whatever, because they don't really kind of have that moral code just yet. But not every kid Mm -hmm. who steals ends, obviously, ends up growing, becoming Al Capone either, right? Like it's not always a thing Mm -hmm. like that. So, who is this documentary for? Knowing that you're kind of like taking a nuanced look at this complicated platform.
0: Well, I think that the thing that was tricky about the making of TikTok Boom is that it's really an intergenerational, or aims towards an intergenerational audience. Mm -hmm. So, I hope it's the kind of film that you know Gen Z kids can watch with their parents and have a conversation about it and so i think that that was sort of tricky because i think uh z they're the experts on 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 apps like tiktok and it was you know challenging to sort of make sure that i didn't lose anyone who you know i wanted to make sure that someone who had absolutely no experience with the app also was felt included in the film
1: i want to Extend on that thread Because there is a moment In your documentary Where surveyed kids Said they want to grow up And become an influencer now It's Uh no longer like Veterinarian or filmmaker Or fireman Or whatever stuff we had uh, Growing up Um, You're a child of immigrant Like your mom came from India My parents came from Egypt Do you see parallels Between being an immigrant And now being an influencer That prospect of a better life That hope uh, While navigating Like a difficult culture And this time In this case It's like pop culture Or is it completely, there's no connection at all there?
0: Yes, I mean, I think that certainly someone like um, Deja Fox will talk about how, you know, social media can be an equalizer for exactly people like us who came from immigrants, who um, aren't showing up on the scene with a lot of um, family or network influence. And that social media can be sort of um, level the playing field and allow us to sort of access our own audiences. And I think, um, you know, sort of the rub is that, that, you know, that this is an industry that's almost totally unregulated and doesn't have any protections for creators. And so, I think there's a lot of burnout that happens in the creator economy as a result, and a lot of mental health issues.
1: There is a sweatshop work to like doing any sort of like uh, online work, whether it's a podcast or a TikTok account or YouTube videos, whatever it is. The system always needs more. You're always like shoveling coal for Satan, basically. You got to keep going. And so, it can become very difficult. That's why I, I. to me it sounded a little bit like or i see the parallels between being an immigrant just because when you come here we all know those stories of like somebody was a doctor back home comes here and he's like a taxi driver or something like this like it's mm-hmm. the upward mobility is a little bit more limited and that's I think that's sometimes when, when you talk about like gen z and some of the kids who are using tiktok they see uh, this platform or being an influencer as a way of upward mobility mm-hmm. so you as a, an established filmmaker In your TED Talk, your 2017 TED Talk, you share that you moved to New York City when you were 19 years old, Uh, and that your goal was to become a filmmaker. If you had to start all over again, would you start with TikTok? Oh, that's
0: so funny. Well, I'm really actually feeling fortunate that I had the opportunity to grow up in private and make mistakes in private, and Mm -hmm. my hat is off to Gen Z and the way that they're navigating this new world so seamlessly, because... I think they're much more prepared versus I really sort of savor my private life. And so um, I'm really grateful to to, to to have lived a childhood in private. And also, I you know I, I think that it's an enormously creative medium, making short-form um, film content. But I feel much more committed to, to the feature space. It, it takes me a long time uh, to tell a complicated story.
1: Yeah, and this complicated story that you're telling – what complicates it is the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Can you go a little bit more into, like, how is the Discovery Engine and the For You page? is kind of, like, I guess manipulative. Is that the right word?
0: Well, I think that it's a very powerful artificial intelligence that has the capacity to be incredibly persuasive. And I can just speak from my own experience that I was uh, just amazed by how accurate this algorithm was at sort of knowing my likes and knowing you know the kinds of interests that i had um, i had to actually take it off my phone because the app was so addictive um, <laughs> so i think that it's it's the latest form of recommendation algorithms i think it's very similar to, to the kind of recommendation algorithm that platforms like youtube have but I think it just is coupled with this very powerful AI that makes it a lot more addictive and powerful.
1: Yeah, and did working on your previous documentary, Coded Bias, and seeing some of the, the technological aspects there and seeing that the AI here, what's the what's the motion, I guess, you're feeling when you see these kind of things? Because you, as you said, they're unregulated. So do you feel like concern or hope or like, can we fix this or is there a point of no return?
0: Well, I think the tricky thing about these technologies is that they're not just dystopian, they're utopian too. And I think my question is always exactly that, like, how do we get the benefits without the harms? It's not like pure good or pure evil. There's a lot of great territory. And I think that what is common between these films is that what I see is that we have this rush to sort of pick up these new technologies without considering what the larger implications are. And mm-hmm. so um, that's what my films hope to do, is to spark a conversation so that we can have a more intentional relationship with the, de- with the design and, and deployment of these technologies that we interact with every day.
1: And this conversation that you sparked, uh, the film has uh, was shown back in January at Sundance. You're currently in San Francisco. What kind of, like feedback are you getting especially because you've done a number of interviews with journalists as well are people like fearful of tiktok are they excited like uh you've talked to like obviously parents older journalists younger journalists like even just people in the audience is there a way to kind of describe the vibe or the mood that people are feeling when the conversation is tiktok
0: well uh i think the film is i am just now i've only experienced screening it with an audience a, a few times, and it's such a gift to be back in the theater and at film festivals. And um, I screened it at the San Francisco um, Museum of Modern Art to an a, a, um, auditorium full of, uh, a theater full of um, high school students.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I was just um, so delighted at how engaged they all were and the level of conversation, and it really just... Um, It made me feel grateful that this film also has some resonance with the audience that um, I created it for.
1: And what about privacy? Because this is the other flip side of the coin, too. There is a really pivotal moment where uh, a lawyer who kind of fights for these types of cases and deals with all these kind of platforms and kind of gets into it. His son is on TikTok and his son is like, uh, he kind of shrugs when his dad brings up privacy. He's like, what can you do? That's Mm -hmm. the way it is. Mm -hmm. Is this part of the other aspect of the conversation? Because we kind of focus on like TikTok as a platform itself and some of the China issues and things like that. And I know political issues got muddled with Trump and stuff. But is privacy another issue that we kind of should bring to the forefront?
0: Yes. I mean, I think that, you know, what is particularly about Gen Z is we have the first generation of human beings growing up online. And so the amount of data that is known about this generation by way of their data being mined from the time they're kids is phenomenal. And I think that we haven't yet begun to grapple with what that can make you vulnerable to and what kind of protections we should have in place. So I do think data rights and data privacy is a thing. And, you know, some people say like, you know, what's the big deal, this kind of data. And I don't think... You know, until I started making these films that I realized that, you know, data about us can be weaponized, um, not just by, you know, TikTok, but by companies like Facebook and um, by all kinds of um, uh, companies that collect data on us. And I don't think I realized until I started doing this work what a complete psychological profile can be built about us just based on the data that we freely give away online.
1: Yeah, and it also kind of reinforces your interest and in your identity as well. So you don't necessarily get rewarded for being curious, right? Like I think everyone's had that experience where you watch like a horror film on Netflix and then Netflix is like, here you go, here's five more horror films. And I'm like, I just watched this. Like I watched a horror film, like show me a comedy or a sci-fi or something. You know what I mean? Like switch it up. Like, yes, I like horror films, but that's not all I am or who I am.
0: Exactly. And I think that that is also dangerous, that these recommendation algorithms,
1: um, very
0: similar to to YouTube and TikTok and embedded in many of the the platforms that we're using, sort of give us more of what it thinks we want. And I know that I'm someone who really thrives off of, um, you know, speaking to people who are different than me. And I think that's really important.
1: So then is the issue TikTok, the platform itself, or is it the algorithm, the data? Because sometimes when we talk about social media or our concerns for social media, platforms like TikTok, we get kind of muddled, right? It's the way it's sometimes like, um, I guess this is not the best example, but like uh, the way sometimes people talk about Nike and they're like, oh, they use child labor. But that's kind mm-hmm. of an issue with all of fashion industry. There's a lot of issues like that that we can clean up for the fashion industry. So is your issue with Nike or is it with like the way that the fashion industry operates? And so it's, I guess for no, like- t- I- with tiktok is it the platform or is it the algorithm that's what i'm asking
0: i I don't think it's either i actually think that it's much bigger than tiktok it's about these black box algorithms that we are interacting with that have very little um regulation transparency or accountability and to me it's it's much bigger than tiktok it's sort of indicative of, of of the industry and i think the reason that TikTok has had so much controversy around it is because it happens to come from China. But tomorrow, you don't know. Maybe our app will come from Russia or from some other place in the world. And so we haven't yet grappled with all of the issues um, in this world where technology is crossing borders so freely um, and without any kind of you know, international or, or federal re- regulation.
1: And having finished this documentary now, do you feel hopeful or what's the emotion? I guess you feel like do you hope that we can have these conversations figure these things out
0: I think that it's up to us I think what makes me hopeful is that with every documentary I make I'm reminded that you know everyday people make a difference when they care enough to make a difference and so for me it's really about spreading the kind of literacy that will enable people to make choices and so that's what my film seeks to do
1: That's a positive note. We can end it there. Thank you so much for, like, hanging out. The documentary is super interesting because it it comes at a time when, like, people are starting to figure out this TikTok thing. Like, I know, like, uh, I was asking you about the generations. And, like, there's, like, parents. I have friends who are are parents. And they're, like, should I be worried? Should I let them do this thing? Like, they don't know what this is. Everyone's kind of got a handle on what Facebook is and what uh, Twitter does. Uh, But now, like, people are trying to figure out what this TikTok thing is. So, the documentary comes at a really uh, unique time for the life of this platform.
0: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: That was director Shalini Kantaya. Her documentary, TikTok Boom, can be seen on PBS. And I am Sam Yunnan, host of my summer lair. Okay. Can we get into all of this now? I don't understand the point of going viral. So you go viral, and then what? Just as box office is not synonymous with quality, going viral is not synonymous with quality either. It's a weird accomplishment. It's like being in the Guinness Book of World Records for eating a lot of pies or winning a hot dog eating contest. Like, Joey Chestnut aside, going viral is weird. It's not really an accomplishment. Nobody really cares. And yet you've achieved something. For like two minutes or five minutes, people cared about you. You were seen. Then they went on to something else on the internet. That's how the internet works. I know one girl who had a viral tweet, but I couldn't tell you any tangible benefits that generated. New followers? Yeah, sure. Maybe, right? I don't know if she got any short-term money. Maybe there's a couple open doors. You know? But looking back, I feel it didn't make her work or her creativity any better. It was nice, I guess. Going viral is a lot like a White House visit by a champion sports team. It has nothing to do with the season. It has nothing to do with winning. And it has nothing to do with the obstacles they overcame or that crazy trade that they made, or any of the things that impact the actual game and winning the championship. It's nice, but ultimately useless. Yet oddly, we've placed this weird importance on it. I grew up in the 80s, and going viral just looks like a digital version of a one-hit wonder. Isn't the whole point sustained creativity? To fashion and formulate a body of excellence. In preparing for this my summer layer interview i autopsied a number of viral tiktoks or tactic videos or whatever these things are called and okay sure some were clever or some were funny or you know whatever but then i don't have a connection to you as a creator i don't know who you are or what your accomplishments are i don't know what you do if i'm being honest none of the videos i saw No matter how viral and how much traffic and everything else they got, none of the videos I saw created anticipation. I don't have a thing to look forward to like, what is your next thing? When Stephen King writes a book, I'm like this is a dope book and then you read it and then you expect the next one to be also dope. Over time he has written more dope books than terrible books, therefore he is a good writer. The Simpsons have over 30 seasons. There's more quality there than there is junk. It is a sustained, enduring work. Quality creates fans, which creates expectations, which creates commitment. Quality creates fans, which creates expectations, which creates commitment. Honestly, if this makes me sound like a get off my lawn, old man, I truly don't care. Because quality is a timeless value that's not going to change or shift to keep up with the times because that simply doesn't make sense. Quality is outside of time. That's why you can watch a movie from the 60s and it's still good. As an avid pop culture consumer, I have invested time and money and attention into institutions like Batman and Doctor Who and Stephen King and David Fincher, all kinds of sci-fi and stand-up comics and so much more. And in return, they have made me laugh and taken me to strange worlds and scary universes. I have gone on adventures. Those investments and those creators have yielded strong, wild, incredible, astonishing dividends. And here, by just clicking on some TikTok video, all I'm helping to do is get some misguided influencer to seal a deal with Doritos to sell more chips. What's so exciting about that? And I like Doritos. Shout out to the Jalapeno Doritos. But I like creativity and quality and adventures way more than Doritos. Pop culture is all about the choices we make. It's frustrating when you watch a terrible movie because you know there are so many other good movies out there. Don't finish books that you are not enjoying. <laughs> like, go find a book that you like. That's why curation is so vital because it tinder-matches tasteful popular culture to a hungry heart. Give me curation over influence any day. Curation is about selling me other creators, other works, other quality works. It's making my life better. Because pop culture makes your life better. It's exciting when you have discovered a new TV show or are deep into a book and you have to keep reading another chapter. Influence, which is what you see a lot of TikTok videos are based about or pimping, it's about selling you, your brand, and I don't know who you are. Curation is inspiring. Influence doesn't have the same effect. That was my observation just watching the documentary. Because there is a point in the documentary where they asked kids, I guess they surveyed kids. Back in the day, kids wanted to be, like, be an astronaut or a veterinarian or something like that. You know what I mean? That's the kind of things that kids wanted to be. And now... According to this, one of the surveys they did in this documentary, TikTok Boom, a lot of kids want to grow up and become influencers. And we don't need influencers. But we can always benefit from curations and curators. That was my takeaway, just watching this documentary, TikTok Boom. See it for yourself on PBS. And now, a special word.
2: If you enjoyed this conversation, some good news. My pal Sammy Newsletter. Let us extend the conversation. And I know you think of email and you think of negative connotations. You think of work, you think of that sweet senior citizen in your life, who keeps forwarding those weird chain letters, things so that they welcome good luck. All of that is true. All of that is email. That's because for those people and those emails, the E in email stands for electronic mail. So what if, what if the E stood for experience? What if it stood for event? What if it stood for excellence? Wouldn't that be exciting? Email doesn't have to be email. Does that make sense? Go to mysummerlaire.com/slash-subscribe to sign up for the weekly pop culture my pal Sammy newsletter. You will be elated you did.
1: Thank you so much for listening to me in a TikTok boom world. TikTok boom yo.